trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You have found the place where we revel in wrong think. And it turns out it's a lot of fun. You make some good friends. Most importantly, you see the world clearly and independently rather than waiting for some expert or politician to spoon feed you whatever it is they want you to believe at the moment. So I'm glad you're part of our audience today. Hopefully, long-time listener, if you're a first-time person tuning in, well, welcome. I'm going to do my best not to scare you away in the first five minutes, but I've got some great stuff to share with you today. Just a quick mention of my sponsors. These are the folks who help make this program possible. There is a link to each of these sponsors in the show notes, which you'll find at the com. I'm not asking you to go buy whatever it is that they're selling at this moment. I mean, if you need it, great, do so. But I would ask you that if you find value in the message that I share and in the content that I share with you, please let them know that their advertising message is reaching your ears, even if you're not doing business with them right at this moment, and just let them know you appreciate them making that possible. Because I certainly do. They help keep the wolf away from the door. And they include sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com. By the way, in the second hour of the show today, I will be uh, talking with... Uh, with the the founder of LifesavingFood.com. We're going to talk a little bit about why food shortages are coming. And it's not to scare you, but just, you know, this is happening kind of under the surface. A lot of people aren't aware of it. They, everything looks normal, you know, for the most part. You don't see a lot of empty shelves in the grocery stores. But uh, there's some interesting stuff on the horizon. Stuff worth paying attention to. Also, pure-light.com, hslammo.com, and last but not least, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Well, the need to propaganda-proof our minds has never been stronger, at least in my opinion. I think this is, this is one of those times where uh, not only is the propaganda intensified, but it can reach us in so many ways that, uh, that it didn't before. And there's an active effort afoot as well to suppress what the propagandists are calling misinformation. Well, C.J. Hopkins has an excellent article on the propaganda war and how to fight it. I thought you'd appreciate his take. He says, every totalitarian system in history has used the power of visual propaganda to generate a new reality, one that reifies its official ideology making the world in its own paranoid image. And the new normal totalitarianism is no exception. So he has a couple of pictures here. This is from July 17th, 2021. He says, take a look at this panel copied from the landing page of The Guardian, one of the global capitalist ruling class's primary propaganda organs. And there's a phrase that jumps out here over and over again. Pandemic of the unvaccinated. I mean, to look at this, it's, you, you really have to see it for yourself. But uh, it's, wow, if it ain't propaganda, it's missing a great opportunity. C.J. Hopkins says this isn't just biased or sensationalist journalism. It is systematic official propaganda. No different than that disseminated by every other totalitarian system throughout history. And here's one from the following day, 
Instead of using the phrase pandemic of the unvaccinated, it talks about uh, the scientist's plea. If you don't wear a mask, the virus spreads further. It's as simple as that. Pictures of people in masks on the subway trains. and The majority of inf- misinformation on the pandemic has come from 12 people. And Anyway, everything is COVID. Everything's about the breeding ground for variants. Delays, aggressive debates over jabs for children in the UK. I mean, it's just, it's really, it's something. And he says, now forget about the content of the articles for a moment and taking the cumulative visual effect. And by the way, the visual effect is everywhere you look, it's people in masks. Everybody, no matter what they're doing, they're wearing masks. C.J. Hopkins says official propaganda isn't just information, misinformation, and disinformation. It's actually less about getting us to believe things than it is about creating an official reality and then imposing it on society by force. He says, when you're setting out to conjure up a new reality, images are extremely powerful tools, just as powerful, if not more powerful than words. So he's got a, he's got a whole series of photographs that bear this out. Here's people in, you know, hazardous suits, you know, the virus uh, protective suits. These are medical workers. And, oh, look, here's bodies in the morgue stacked up. Here's an old lady with her finger in the air for all those people who refuse to wear a mask. She's wearing one, by the way. Children socially distanced by huge chalk lines on their school playground. People driving in their cars with masks. Act like you've got it, says one poster. If you go out, you can spread it. People will die. I mean... Look, propaganda is, is not necessarily always a bad thing. I've talked before about the, the seatbelt ad that I saw just a few years back that uh, I thought was actually one of the most convincing seatbelt ads that I've ever seen because it wasn't just a cop you know, with sunglasses, click it or ticket, dude. It was, uh, it was actually showing a family uh, putting their arms around a loved one and, and he was simulating, mimicking being in a car crash. And there was, I don't know, it it connected with my heart because the message was buckle up because people love you and they would be very sad if you weren't there for them. And I thought, wow, that's that's actually some pretty good propaganda. It actually made me go, you know, I should probably put on my seatbelt. Okay, this stuff is more along the lines of what you would see hanging in North Korea. This is what you would see, you know, from World War II, whether it's the American propaganda posters, you know, with the buck-toothed, squinty-eyed, you know, Japanese soldier bayoneting babies, or, you know, whether it's the German propaganda uh, propaganda posters or the, the Soviet propaganda posters. The commonalities are pretty tough to, to get past in terms of they're, they're creating a new reality. And this is what C.J. Hopkins is talking about. He says the goal of this kind of propaganda isn't simply to deceive or terrorize the public. It's more about forcing people to look at these images over and over, hour after hour, day after day, at home, at work, on the streets, on television, on the Internet, everywhere. That's how we create reality. We represent our beliefs and values to ourselves and to each other with images, words, rituals, symbols, and social behaviors. He says, essentially, we conjure our reality into being like actors rehearsing and performing a play. The more we all believe it, the more convincing it is. By the way, this is one of the reasons why masks are such a, you know, essential part of the new normal ideology. 
Forcing the masses, masses to wear medical-looking masks in public was a propaganda masterstroke. Simply put, C.J. Hopkins says, if you can force people to dress up like they're going to work in the infectious disease ward of a hospital every day for 17 months, presto, you got yourself a new reality. A new pathologized, totalitarian reality. A paranoid, psychotic, cult-like reality in which formerly semi-rational people who have been reduced to nonsense babbling lackeys, afraid to go outside without permission from the authorities and injecting their children with experimental vaccines. Now, he says the sheer power of the visual image of those masks and being forced to repeat the ritual behavior of putting them on has been nearly irresistible. Now, he says, yes, I know that you've been resisting, so have I, but we are the minority. So denying the power of what we're up against might make you feel better, but it gets us nowhere or in any event, nowhere good. He says the fact of the the fact is the majority of the public, except for people in Sweden, Florida and other virtually non-existent places (laughs) have been robotically performing this theatrical ritual and harassing those who refuse to do so and thus collectively simulating an apocalyptic plague. Now, the new normals, in other words, those still wearing masks outdoors, shrieking over meaningless cases, bullying everyone to get vaccinated and collaborating with the segregation of the unvaccinated. They're not behaving the way they're behaving because they're stupid. They're behaving that way because they are living in a new reality that's been created for them over the course of the last 17 months by a massive official propaganda campaign, the most extensive and effective in the history of propaganda. In other words, he says, to put it bluntly, we are in a propaganda war and we're losing. We can't match the propaganda power of the corporate media and the new normal governments, but that doesn't mean we can't fight back. In fact, he says, we must and we can at every opportunity. Now, readers have been asking him, okay, CJ, how do you fight back against that? And so we're going to shift to that and talk about that in a few moments. Unfortunately, we're up against the break here. So let me let me pump the brakes for a moment. Again, I have a link to this article from C.J. Hopkins in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. It's a fairly lengthy article, but I think you'll find it well worth your time. If you want to click on it, read it, peruse it, follow the, the links within. And if it strikes the right chord, feel free to share it with other people. we got to take a real quick break. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Just a quick shout out to Patriot Home Mortgage, particularly the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, NMLS ID 715386. If you are looking for A home, particularly a home loan. You know that it's a really competitive market, and this is especially true in the Intermountain West where I live. Now, uh, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is based in St. George, Utah. You can visit them at 619 South Bluff Street, Tower 1 and 2, or you can call 435-703-4522. Bottom line is this. When it comes time to make an offer on a home, assuming that you have, have moved to Utah along with about a bajillion other people, 
you're going to need to to make sure your financing is absolutely in order because people are snapping homes up as quickly as they go on the market. I mean, like almost instantly. So if you want someone on your side to make things happen when time is of the essence, Heather is the one you want to reach out to. And of course, Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Let's uh, let's go back to this article from C.J. Hopkins, The Propaganda War and How to Fight It. I think he does a pretty good job of laying out and making the case, yeah, it's it's a propaganda war, for real. And we can pretend it's not there, but the, the fact is, it's creating a new reality for people through images and through behavior, It's and it's working. And if, if you weren't paying attention in the last 17 months, you know, the, the masks are a big part of this. So how do you fight back? How do you resist? So here are a few simple suggestions from C.J. Hopkins. First of all, he reminds us the vast majority of obedient new normals are not fanatical totalitarians. They're scared and they're weak. So they're following orders, adjusting their minds to the new official reality. Most of them do not perceive themselves as adherents of a totalitarian system or as segregationists, although that's what they are. They perceive themselves as responsible people following sensible health directives to protect themselves and others from the virus and its ever-multiplying mutant variants. They perceive the unvaccinated as a minority of dangerous, irrational, conspiracy-theorist extremists who want to kill them and their families. When we tell them, hey, we simply want our constitutional rights back and to not be forced into being vaccinated and censored and persecuted for expressing our views, they don't believe us. They think we're lying. They perceive us as threats, as aggressors, as monsters, as strangers among them who need to be dealt with, which is exactly how the authorities want them to perceive us. Now, we need to try to change this perception, not by complying or being polite to them. On the contrary, he says we need to become more confrontational. Now, he makes a distinction here, not violent, confrontational. There's actually a difference, although the woke will deny it. So to begin with, we call things what they are. The vaccination pass system or passport system is a segregation system. It is segregationism. Call it what it is. Those cooperating with it are segregationists. They're not helping or protecting anybody from anything. They are segregationists, pure and simple. Refer to them as segregationists. Don't let them hide behind their terminology. Confront them with the fact of what they are. Now, the same goes for the rest of COVID speak. COVID cases, deaths, and vaccines get scare quotes. Healthy people are not medical cases. If COVID didn't kill someone, they are not a COVID death, period. Vaccines that do not behave like vaccines and that are killing and crippling tens of thousands of people and that have not been adequately tested for safety and that are being indiscriminately forced on everyone do not get to be called vaccines. Okay, he says, here comes the big idea, which will only work if enough people do it. You probably won't like it, but what the hell, here goes. He says, this is the red inverted triangle the Nazis used in the concentration camps to designate their political opponents and members of the anti-Nazi resistance. And it's just, it is, it's a simple piece of red cloth in the shape of a triangle. He says, make one, make it out of fabric, paper, or whatever material you have at hand. Put a big black letter U in the center of it to signify unvaccinated and then wear it in public conspicuously. Now, when people ask you what it means and why you're wearing it in public, tell them 
Encourage them to do the same, assuming they're not new normal segregationists, in which case, well, that'll be a different conversation, but go ahead and tell them too. That's it. That's the whole big idea. That and whatever else you're already doing. Now, he says the triangle is not meant to replace that. It's just one simple way for people to express their opposition to the totalitarian pseudo-medical segregation system that's currently being implemented, despite all the other stuff you've been doing that I've been doing for 17 months. Now, C.J. Hopkins says, all right, I can already feel your disappointment. You thought I was going to propose a frontal assault on Klaus Schwab's secret castle or a guerrilla naval attack on Bill Gates' yacht. Well, cathartic as either of those endeavors might be, they would be A, futile, and B, suicidal. Frustrating as this has been for all of us, this is still a battle for hearts and minds. Essentially, it's a war on reality, or between two realities, if you prefer. In other words, it's being fought in people's heads, not in the streets. So he says, let me try to sell you on this red triangle thing. The point of a visual protest like this is to force the new normals to confront a different representation of what they and we are. A representation that accurately reflects reality. No, of course, we are not in concentration camps, so please spare me the irate literalist emails, but he says we are being segregated, scapegoated, censored, humiliated, and otherwise abused, not for any legitimate public health reasons, but because of our political dissent, because we refuse to mindlessly follow orders and conform to their new official ideology. C.J. Hopkins says the new normals need to be forced to perceive their beliefs and actions in that context, even if it's only for a few fleeting moments at the mall or in the grocery store or wherever. He says, think of it this way, as he explained earlier. They're basically performing a theatrical event, conjuring up a pandemic reality with words, actions, and pseudo-medical stage props. What we need to become is that a-hole in the audience who destroys the suspension of disbelief and reminds everyone that they're sitting in a theater and not in 15th century Denmark by loudly taking a call on his phone right in the middle of Hamlet's soliloquy. Seriously, he says, we need to become that a-hole as conspicuously as possible, as often as possible, to disrupt the show the new normals are performing and to remind them what they're actually doing and who they're actually doing it to. He has a picture here. This is one of the classic uh, segregationist pictures from the 1950s, and you've probably seen it. Um, there's National Guardsmen in the background. There's a black girl with school, girl with school books in her arms walking along, and right behind her, right over her shoulder, is a young white girl uh, um, just screaming at her. This is one of the, the great uh, racist photos of the 50s showing how people were opposed to desegregation. And he says, look at the white people in this picture, tormenting the girl who's just trying to go to school like any other student. The new normals do not want to perceive themselves that way as a pack of fanatical, hate-drunk segregationists. But C.J. Hopkins says that's what they are, because that's what they're doing. But it's not what most of them are by nature. Yes, some people are congenitally sociopathic, but no one is inherently totalitarian. We're not born fascists or segregationists. We have to be programmed that way. That's what the propaganda is for. Not to mention all the other authoritarian conditioning we're subjected to from the time we're children. Or that's the gamble or the leap of faith behind the inverted red triangle thing. It's still a basic nonviolent civil disobedience tactic which works on people who still have a conscience and haven't gone full totalitarian yet. Now, he says, granted, it might not work this time. We're already at the stage where they're going to imprison restaurant owners for serving the unvaccinated. But he says it might. 
What have we got to lose? I don't usually look at things like this and think, yeah, 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 I should do that too. But as I'm looking at this simple triangle of cloth with a big black letter U on it, I'm thinking I may actually do this. Just put it on a shirt sleeve, make an armband out of it. I don't know. It's definitely going to make some people uncomfortable, okay? There's no doubt about that. But the truth can be uncomfortable. Reality can be uncomfortable. Who was it who said, reality is everything that remains when you wish it were otherwise? Yeah, it, it can be uncomfortable. The question is, who will have the courage to experience or even inflict a bit of discomfort? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Thanks again for being part of my growing audience of wrong thinkers. Please visit my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, It's a simple click of a button, and then you will be notified every time a new episode drops. Typically, and this is like most every day in and day out, I am creating two hours of content each day, Monday through Friday. I try to find the best possible content that I can. I'm not saying every word I utter is the absolute truth, but I do vet pretty carefully what information I share. I don't want to mislead you. I want to give you stuff to think about, and I want to give you stuff that even sometimes challenges, you know, the, the boundaries of, of where you're thinking right now. But uh, but I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm not here to claim that I've got the corner on the market of truth. I don't. But I feel like I have a duty right now to speak out as clearly as possible. So thank you for being part of that audience. I really do appreciate it, and I appreciate those who are helping to spread the word. In the the last segments, we were talking about C.J. Hopkins' article about the propaganda war and how to fight it. And one of the things that uh, this is going to require is courage. And unfortunately, courage and cowardice aren't always that easy to tell apart. See, uh, in our minds, we all believe, well, I would courageously stand for the right things. Why, if it was a time of slavery, I would be the one standing up bravely, you know, setting people right about the wrong involved in slavery. But you know the reality of it is, if you're not standing right now for things in such a way that you are experiencing discomfort and disapproval and maybe some outright ostracization on the part of uh, the, the polite members of society, you wouldn't have done it during the time of slavery either. I don't mean that as an insult either. This, this is true for, for most of us. We prefer, I'll go along, get along, because it's, it's easier to, you know, just kind of go with the flow and not to... Not make waves. But that's not, to, that's not what courageous people would do. Isaac Morehouse has been on a roll lately with just great, great advice. And he has an article on everything-voluntary.com. Courage and cowardice aren't always easy to tell apart. Isaac Morehouse says, There's a funny idea about courage floating around. People get called courageous for loudly denouncing things they believe are evil. But he says that alone is not courage. Yes, taking a stand against evil can be courageous, but only if it is scary, painful, and costly to do so. So if there's no cost, it's not courage. 
Now, I'm going to just pause for a moment here to kind of let the uh, cognitive dissonance work its way through your system, because that's <clears throat> that's kind of a scary thought, right? You're not being courageous unless you're actually, you know, having some skin in the game, feeling some pain. But Isaac Morehouse says most of what gets called courageous has no cost. It brings no pain to denounce as evil something that already that everyone already believes is evil or something with no power to do you bodily or reputational harm, well, that's not courageous. So as a silly example, he says, calling Hitler a piece of crap on Twitter, that's not courageous. Why? Because everybody agrees. He has no power, and nothing bad is going to happen to you for saying this. Now, calling Hitler a piece of crap on live radio in Nazi Germany in 1940? Yeah, that would be a much different matter. Isaac Morehouse says, we like to credit ourselves for courage when we stand against things that cost us nothing. He says, it feels good to pile on when something has been deemed bad in the popular narrative. Got to make sure to get our name on the record calling bad what everyone else calls bad. But this is easy, and it's almost of no value to anyone. It can make us smug, lazy, and self-righteous, and cause us to overlook our own capacity for cowardice. He says, at all times, in all places, there are evil things praised or accepted as good. With time and distance, they may be seen for the evil they are. Courage is standing against those evils when they are viewed as good by the masses and when it costs you to do so. Damn, he says, that puts things in a different light. Most of the taking a stand we think we do isn't anything more than going with the flow, which is indistinguishable from cowardice. Now, he says, by the way, you can be courageous and wrong, or you can be cowardly and right. Just because it takes courage doesn't guarantee that it's good. But as a general rule, acts of cowardice are far more likely to lead to something bad than acts of courage. And praising cowardice as courage is always a bad thing for social incentives. Man, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty hard dose of reality, but I don't disagree with the thing he has said there. And I'm not saying that, uh, therefore, you know, you need to be out there, you know, making sure that people are throwing trash at you as you walk down the street. I don't think that's the case necessarily. I don't want people throwing trash at me as I'm walking down the street either. But if it's not putting you at risk, either your name, your reputation, perhaps your employment, your social standing, it's not really the courageous stand that, uh, that we've built ourselves up to think that it is. And by the way, I'm as guilty of this as anybody. I don't like the pain either. But there are individuals for whom, you know, courage is the real deal. I think about Ammon Bundy. You know, when public officials wanted to hold secret meetings to to hash out COVID policy, even at the state level. Ammon's like, hey, you're public servants. You're supposed to be transparent. You're supposed to be serving the public. And when they tried to lock him out of meetings, lock him out of legislative sessions, he would still go and sit and try to access those meetings. And they would arrest him over and over. I think he had five different arrests. Threatening him with arrest, most people would cave. Myself, I'd probably be like, okay, no, I don't want to get arrested. But for a guy who sat for two years in the federal prison system, having been convicted of no crime, and by the way, still never been convicted of any crime Ammon just doesn't scare that easily. Yeah, but he he took the ride. He got handcuffed and taken away. He certainly did. And that's what courage looks like. 
makes me think about the old Solzhenitsyn quote about how, you know, uh, truth, you know, to stand for truth is nothing. For truth, you must sit in jail. So I'm not telling you to go out and become a radical, but I am suggesting that if you're serious about making a courageous stand for something, you've got to become comfortable with the fact that uh, you will suffer for your beliefs. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. And I think it's been that way throughout human history. Let's move on here. A couple of different things to cover. Oh, this is a great one. Annie Holmquist from, in, from intellectualtakeout.org has a great article on the cracking fault lines of our well-meaning COVID despots. This is one of the reasons why the push is so hard right now to get us back into lockdown, people back into wearing masks, you know, mandating we've got to get everybody vaccinated. We've got to push this harder and harder than ever before. You know, this is this is the reason why we have to segregate the unvaccinated. Annie Holmquist says, if you've been watching closely, you may have seen a number of fault lines widening in the covid pandemic narrative. These fault lines are vindicating for those convinced of the underhanded dealings of pandemic authorities for many months and horrifying for those realizing their trust and confidence in authorities was betrayed. Now, she says, regardless of which camp you're in, these fault lines paint a good picture of why our experts and authorities have been so effective in entrapping us in the new world of covid despotism. By allegedly putting the well-being of each citizen first, they effectively put it dead last. Now, the first example of this is a recent Wall Street Journal article by Dr. Marty Macri, a Johns Hopkins School of Medicine professor. Macri studied data on 48,000 children diagnosed with the virus and discovered otherwise healthy children have a COVID mortality rate of zero, a fact which should comfort the many parents who've lived in terror that their children would catch the virus. If that trend holds, Macri declares, it has significant implications for healthy kids and whether they need two vaccine doses. An odd thing has happened, though, Annie says. The few childhood deaths that, uh, that have allegedly resulted from COVID have not been thoroughly researched by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, this is unfathomable to Macri, given the, particularly given the debate over whether children should even be vaccinated. Macri says those eager to get every living American vaccinated are following the CDC without understanding the limitations of the methodology. In other words, the CDC wants you to be vaccinated because it's for your own good. Never mind that we really don't know if it's necessary or even whether it actually does more good than harm. And Annie Holmquist points out, sadly, this lack of information isn't limited to children. Macri calls out the CDC on their limited information or understanding on a number of COVID aspects that includes their failure to collect information on the major underlying or the major role that underlying health conditions play in COVID deaths. Also, the underreporting of vaccine complications and even the lack of data on naturally acquired COVID immunity. By the way, on that last point, Macri says the low priority given to this indicator is consistent with public health officials with how public health officials have played down and ignored natural immunity in their drive to get everyone vaccinated. There's more to this article. We're going to come back to it in just a few moments. And there is a link, of course, in the show notes. This is for July 23rd. You'll find them at thebrianhideshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, let's jump right back in. Not a moment to waste. Thanks again for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. I'm sharing an article here from Annie Holmquist from intellectualtakeout.org. And, and as far as resources for wrong thinkers go, this is one of my favorites. I like to visit Intellectual Takeout as often as I can. And in fact, there's, there's actually a, a, a web page on my website called Resources for Wrong Thinkers. And this is the different uh, commentary sites, news aggregator sites. I have chosen the ones that I've shared because they have been notoriously good for giving as straightforward information as possible. I'm not saying there's no bias whatsoever. They may have some bias, but it's not based in red state versus blue state kind of mentality. And it's not reduced to bumper sticker slogans that we're supposed to shout back and forth at each other. And Annie Holmquist is is one of my favorite contributors. She's actually the editor of Intellectual Takeout. Her article is The Cracking Fault Lines of Our Well-Meaning COVID Despots. So in pointing out that, you know, there there are things that are just not being talked about, like um, naturally acquired COVID immunity and the drive to get everybody vaccinated. I mean, people who've had uh, COVID... They should have that natural immunity, but you don't hear people talking about it. Get the, get the vaccine anyway. Get it anyway. You know, people accuse those who are vaccine hesitant of being mindless. But uh, I, I see more mindlessness on the part of those pushing the vaccine than not. Annie Holmquist says, while America's CDC isn't saying much about natural immunity, other countries are beginning to leak information suggesting it's far stronger than the vaccine. For instance, in Israel, just 1% of confirmed new COVID cases since May 1st came from those who had COVID previously. That's according to the Times of Israel. 40% of these new COVID cases, however, were contracted by vaccinated individuals, a statistic identical to recent data out of the UK. Now, if that data holds, it would seem the vaccine's far less effective than we've been told, yet we would never have guessed that based on the information our authorities continually push. Unfortunately, she says, information related to the vaccine isn't the only COVID-related instance where our authorities pretend to put our well-being first. Take, for instance, Dr. Dr. Fauci's exchange with Senator Rand Paul. In a Senate hearing the other day, there's a demonstration of this with Fauci acting like he's taking the moral high ground and calling Paul a liar for the data he presents on gain-of-function research. And she has a clip, a link to the clip of of this exchange that took place in, in the Senate. Now, these are just a few of the cracks beginning to show in the COVID narrative. And she says it's likely we'll see many more in the coming weeks. Sadly, they're a sign of what Robert Nisbet called the greatest single revolution of the last century in his book, Twilight of Authority. This revolution transfers power from our constitutionally established leaders to the vast network of power that's been brought into being in the name of protection of the people from their exploiters. In other words, bureaucrats and other alleged experts who claim to champion our best interests but refuse to let us have a say in what those best interests are. Nisbet continues, quote, It is this kind of power that Justice Brandis warned against in a decision nearly half a century ago. Experience should teach us <clears throat> to be most on guard to protect liberty when the government's purposes are beneficent. Men are born to freedom. Men born to freedom, rather, are naturally alert to repel invasion of their liberty by evil-minded rulers. 
the greatest dangers to liberty lurk in insidious encroachments by men of zeal, well-meaning, but without understanding. What gives the new despotism its peculiar effectiveness is indeed its liaison with humanitarianism. But beyond this fact is its capacity for entering into the smallest details of human life. End quote. What an amazing quote. Annie Holmquist says, On the surface, our authorities certainly appear well-meaning. But given the information emerging with even greater rapidity, it seems that at the very least they are sorely misguided. So if we want to guard against their encroachments on our liberties, then we must do our own research to make sure their narrative rings true with the data we uncover, rather than comfortably following the crowd to a life under COVID despots. Amen. Well said. By the way, just to to help put this into perspective, more and more European nations right now are drifting back toward lockdowns. But you notice there's not much being said about Sweden. John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education suggests, you know, there might be a reason for that. After all, Sweden didn't lock down, yet it remains freer and healthier than virtually any other nation in Europe. He's got an article here. Daily COVID deaths in Sweden hit zero as other nations brace for more lockdowns. Miltimore writes more than 100,000 people flooded streets in France over the weekend and multiple COVID vaccination centers were vandalized as opposition grew to the government's most recent pandemic strategy. By the way, there there was a similar demonstration last night in uh, Italy. Same kind of thing. It's all about the COVID lockdown. President in President Emmanuel Macron's latest incarnation of lockdowns, government officials have decreed in France that unvaccinated individuals will no longer be allowed to enter cafes, restaurants, theaters, public transportation, and more. Needless to say, people were not happy. Now, France's approach is unique, but John Miltimore says it's just one of many countries around the world imposing new restrictions as fears grow over the new variant of COVID-19. Australia's recent restrictions have placed half the country under strict lockdown, even though a record 82,000 tests had identified just 111 new coronavirus cases. Meanwhile, restaurants in Portugal are struggling to survive amid newly imposed restrictions. One country not making much news, though, is Sweden. Sweden, of course, was maligned in 2020 for foregoing a strict lockdown. The Guardian called its approach a catastrophe in the making. While CBS News said Sweden had become an example of how not to handle COVID-19. Well, despite these criticisms, Sweden's laissez-faire approach to the pandemic continues today. And in contrast to its European neighbors, Sweden is welcoming tourists. Businesses and schools are open with almost no restrictions. And as far as masks are concerned, not only is there no mandate in place, Swedish health officials aren't even recommending them. What are the results of Sweden's much-derided laissez-faire policy? Well, data shows the seven-day rolling average for COVID deaths as of the time of this article being written was zero, as in nada. And it's been at zero for about a week now. Now, John Miltimore says even a year ago, it was clear that the hyperbolic claims about the Swedish catastrophe were false. Just ask Elon Musk. And by the way, he's got about three other links that, uh, that helped to underscore this point. But a year later, the evidence is overwhelming that Sweden got the pandemic mostly right. Sweden's overall mortality rate in 2020 was lower than most of Europe. Its economy suffered far less. Meanwhile, today, Sweden is freer and healthier than virtually any country in Europe. 
And much of the world remains gripped in fear, and nations are devising new restrictions to curtail basic freedoms. But Sweden remains a vital and shining reminder that there is a better way. By the way, there are links to several different articles here. In fact, John Miltimore's article is an absolute treasure trove. If you're looking for some supporting information to back up the idea that, hey, maybe the lockdowns are far overrated in terms of what they actually produce. You know, just to bring this full circle, I'll go back to what C.J. Hopkins was pointing out in his article about the propaganda war and how to fight it. I think that people, a lot of people, want to believe that, uh, well, this really works and this is, the, this is the way it has to be done, not because they know that it's effective. They haven't looked at the data. They haven't crunched the numbers. John Miltimore, by the way, has. He's been one of the best sources on this that I've been able to find. But they just want the appearance of we're doing something. And that's why they put their mask on. And that's why they look with, uh, with derision upon those who don't put the mask on. I think the most frustrating part to me is that uh, we are being encouraged to fight amongst ourselves, right? The maskers versus the anti-maskers. And trust me, there are plenty of anti-maskers out there, too, who will confront and ridicule people wearing masks. You sheeple. All that infighting keeps us from focusing on the real source of our woes. And that is people acting under color of authority or taking authority under themselves to try to tell us this is the best way to run your life. I mean, I hesitate to use the word enemy. But they're doing what an enemy would do in in reducing us to servitude, in reducing us to just, you know, being a bunch of serfs who have to be told, you have to do this, you have to do that. You know, to quote from the Hunger Games, uh, don't forget who the real enemy is. And I don't want you to be an enemy-driven person in your thinking, but I want you to recognize the person walking through the supermarket wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, that is not your enemy. The person who would try to force you one way or the other using the power of the state, well, that's, that's a different story. This is The Brian Hyde Show.